Matthew chapter 27. And uh, so good to be on our way to heaven tonight. And if you're not on your way to heaven, then I pray that tonight you would come to know Christ as your Savior. These altars are always open and you can come at any time. Matthew chapter 27. And we want to read one verse tonight and then have prayer and then you can be seated. Verse number 35, Matthew 27 and verse number 35. The Bible said, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray that you'd give us the words and the wisdom. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work that no man can do. God, hide us behind the shadows of the cross tonight. Lord, may we not see flesh, but I pray that you'd be glorified and magnified. I pray that you'd be uplifted, speak to hearts, and save the lost, and reclaim the backslid. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want you to notice five distinctive truths in this text very quickly. First of all, I want you to see the Savior in verse number 35 who was crucified. The Bible said, and they crucified him. I think that's interesting because in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse number 9, the Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. So in Isaiah 53, it clearly tells us that it was the Lord that bruised him and that it pleased him to bruise him and to put him to grief. But in our text here, it tells us and they, talking about man, crucified him. It's interesting because we know that at Calvary, Jesus was on the cross for six hours and three of the, the first three hours, he was in the hands of man as they nailed him to the cross and they cried out. And the last three hours, during those three hours of darkness, he was in the hands of God as the veil of the temple was rent and into twain. The Bible says that, uh, listen, that Jesus cried, it is finished during, as he was on the cross. And so why is that so significant? Significant. I think it's important because we realize that as Christ was on the cross there that, that God was sovereignly in control and that man was just carrying out God's plan. Isn't that right? Now I'm not a Calvinist but I do believe in the sovereignty of God and God was sovereign and Calvary was not an accident. Calvary was not an afterthought in the mind of God. It was not a plan B or a plan C but God sovereignly planned that hill for Jesus to die on and in Isaiah 53 800 years before Roman crucifixion was ever even instituted, uh, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and God used man to do that. Man was simply a puppet. He was a tool in the hand of God. And so we see the Savior who was crucified and then we see the separation of his clothing as the Bible says that they parted his garments. Now it's important to note that because Jesus was wearing peasant garments. You know that our Lord was not rich when he came into this world. Second Corinthians chapter number 14 said that he uh, that was uh, rich became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Amen? I think that's chapter number nine instead. Uh, but you know what? Christ came into this world poor, didn't he? He was, a, he was born poor. He lived as a peasant. A peasant wore five different clothings. And we'll not elaborate on that thought tonight, but the important thing in the text uh, is that Jesus is at the cross and they hang him on the cross uh, and they take his garments and they parted them. They gave them out, but that vesture, they cast lots, and we'll see that in just a moment as we see the soldiers uh, who are casting lots. The Bible said, and they crucified him and parted his garments and casting lots. Amen. They cast lots for that vesture. They uh, played the lottery. If you want to know where the lottery began, it's right here. Amen. 
at the foot of the cross. And they cast lot. We see the scriptures which is completed, the Bible said, which was spoken by the prophet. This is Psalms 22 and verse number 18. The Bible said they parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Isn't it amazing how that God prophesied it through his prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament it came to pass. Amen. What was said in the Old Testament came to pass and not only did it come to pass but it came to pass exactly the way that God said it would come to pass. And so we see the Savior who was crucified, the separation of his clothing, the soldiers who are casting lots, the scripture which is completed. But I want you to notice in this text tonight the sin that is committed. Amen. You see at Calvary there was a lot of sins that was committed. The sin of perversion, the sin of profanity. A lot of sin was committed at Calvary. But here in our text tonight we see this great sin that was committed under the shadow of the cross. You say what is it? It's the sin of gambling. Amen. I'm telling you at the very foot of the cross under the drippings of Calvary, under the shadow of our of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, while the redemption was being paid uh, and salvation was being purchased uh, when God was at his best. Uh, as we look at Calvary, we see man was at his very worst uh, and under the shadow of the old rugged cross, uh, these soldiers gambled for his robe. Uh, my friend, they gambled at the very feet uh, of our Savior. I want to answer some hard questions tonight that I think is on a lot of people's mind when it comes to the sin of gambling. Uh, number one, why is gambling gambling a sin? Number two, what does the Bible say about gambling? Number three, do Christians play the lottery? And number four, should I stand against the lottery and against gambling? And I think this fifth question is one that's probably been asked many times and it would be this, preacher, would you take the tithe or a special gift from someone who won the lottery? Amen? I don't know about you, but those seem to be valuable questions tonight when it comes to the sin of gambling. And so let me just jump jump right in tonight and I want to begin by saying uh, that gambling is a sin. Amen. And I want to define when I talk about gambling I'm talking about slot machines uh, video poker, uh, blackjack, seven card stud. Amen. A uh, Powerball, lottery tickets, uh, online gambling, horse races, dog races. Uh, I'm talking about chicken fights tonight. Uh, I'm talking about scratch offs uh, and flipping coins and shooting dice uh, and stock market gambling. Oh that's a big one isn't it. Amen. Uh, uh, gambling is gambling is gambling. Uh, and if anybody ought to preach on it, it ought to be in this generation. Amen. Uh, I'm telling you tonight, when you think about gambling, uh, it always has been sin. You say, Brother Gravely, why is gambling sin? I'll tell you why. Because when it comes to gambling, friend, it's sin. Because in order for you to win, that means somebody else has to lose. Amen. I mean, if you win at gambling, somebody had to lose. Uh, uh, gambling is a sin because it's not being a good steward of your money. Amen. Gambling is a sin because it creates a lust for worldly riches. Amen. There's nothing wrong with having riches, but there is something wrong with desiring riches. Isn't that right? To be rich in this world. Gambling is sin because it's about gain and greed and covetousness. It's sin because it opens the doors to other sins such as the ones I just mentioned and even others. Things like envy and strife and hatred and drinking and even sometimes murder, amen? Sin tonight, isn't it? Gambling is sin because it fuels the heart to desire quick gain and diminishes the desire for honest labor and hard work. I still believe in both of them, don't you? 
It's the laziest generation I've ever seen. That's another sermon for another day. Now I'm telling you, listen, if you paid them $25 an hour to sit in a pie factory on their blessed assurance and eat pies, uh, they're so lazy they wouldn't even do that. You know that? I'm telling you, listen, they act like it hurts to lift their eyelids in this generation. I'm talking about, listen, the work ethic has gone out the door and God help our government that's pumping the checks to them right, right and left. Uh, I'm telling you, you don't need a check, you need a job. Somebody say amen. Uh, but that's another sermon for another day. I want to tell you, gambling is sin because it destroys the morality and the family values. It's sin because it teaches wasteful spending and it builds a false hope. Now there's a difference tonight between trading and gambling. Isn't that right? You say what's the difference? Well, in trading listen, everybody gets something. Isn't that right? Now you may get the short end of the stick when you trade. How many of y'all can say that? But you know what? You have to come to an agreement in the trade. Am I right? about that and somebody everybody walks away with something but not in gambling friend I'm telling you gambling people lose everything in gambling and the winner takes all isn't that right I'm talking about gambling is sin amen but a more important question would be this what does the Bible say about gambling there's a lot of verses tonight that I could not give you all of them but I will give you some of them in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11 The Bible says, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. God believes in work, doesn't he? For the love of money, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, is the root of all evil. Not money in itself is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced through themselves with many sorrows. Hebrews 13 and verse number five said, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. You've never seen a gambler content, have you? Come on now, y'all don't say amen. I'm gonna think you're all gambling tonight. Amen. Listen, Matthew chapter six and verse 24, no man can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15, the Bible said, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. That's Ecclesiastes five and verse number 10. For nor he that loveth abundance and increase, this is also vanity. In Luke 12 and verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. In Proverbs 28 and verse 22, he that, ha- he that hasteneth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not the poverty that shall come upon him. What I'm simply saying to this tonight is that God believes in labor. He believes in work. He believes in earning your keep. Amen. Now God will bless us and he'll take care of us. Uh, but God doesn't want us sitting around all the time waiting for a check in the mail. Isn't that right? Uh, God wants us to hustle, but he doesn't doesn't want us to be a hustler, amen? He wants us to get out and do some work. He wants us to earn our keep by the sweat of our brow, amen? I'm telling you, hard work and a cold glass of water would kill about half of this generation today, amen? They think, listen, hard work's working down at the the burger joint flipping hamburgers, amen, for about two hours a day, and they sleep till about 12 o'clock in the day, uh, and they're always looking for a handout. I don't, but listen, I'm not against giving somebody a hand up, uh, but if you're always looking for a handout, uh, you need to get some character, amen. You need to get out there and work a little bit. You need to know what it is to earn your keep. Hallelujah. While we're on the subject, I don't believe in OCD neither. Somebody say amen right there. People think if you fold your clothes, you're OCD. No, that's just character. 
I think you get out of the bed and make your bed every day, you're OCD. No, that's just character, amen? They think if you get up and go to work before six o'clock in the morning, you're OCD. No, that's just character, amen? You know what OCD is? It's an excuse for a lazy generation to diagnose somebody with some kind of disease or sickness that's not real after all, amen? I'm telling you, friend, before this generation ever come along, people got up and they went to work, amen? I'm trying to preach on gambling, but it's hard to separate the two. Is it in the Bible? Yes. And the principle is this, is that God preaches the, or God teaches the principle of a good earth, earth, a good work ethic and good hard labor and earning your money, amen, and being honest in your dealings, not swindling, not hoodwinking, not getting one up on somebody else, not robbing Peter to pay Paul, amen, not, listen, playing blackjack, not out there trying to get a quick rich quote program. I'm talking about just being content with the things that you have, amen. I'm talking about it's in the Bible. And then number three, do Christians play the lottery? The answer to that question is no. Christians have never played the lottery. Liberal, lost, or backslid church members have. But Christians, real Christians, have never played the lottery. A church member who has lost or backslid will have a handful of excuses as to why it's okay to play the lottery. They'll say things like this, well, I'll tithe off of it. I'll build the church a new building. Now, y'all come on and get with me tonight. I'll support missionaries. I'll use it for good and helping others and be a blessing to my family, which they never do none of the above. Excuses like that. Well, you know, preacher, I play the lottery, but I only spend a certain amount of dollars a month, you know, because it is my recreation money. And, and you know, everybody has a little bit of recreation money. I may waste a little bit on a lottery ticket or a scratch off or, or a slot machine or, or a Powerball or bingo. Somebody say amen right there. I'm telling you, listen, if you go down to the local pub and play bingo or, or wherever, amen, and God help a church that have bingo and let people gamble, in the fellowship hall. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, bingo's for bimbos. You know that? I'm just simply saying this tonight. Listen, if you go out and play bingo, most people that play, I'm talking about the B-I-N-G-O, bingo. Amen? I'm simply saying this. Listen, it doesn't matter what it is. Gambling is still gambling tonight. It's wrong, isn't it? Punch boards. Uh-oh. Isn't that right? Punch boards. At work, I don't know if they still have those things. They come around and say, well, preacher, I, you know, I keep a little change in my pocket, you know, to, and I, I try the punch board, maybe win a rifle or a ring, you know, for my wife uh, or something like that, you know, raffle tickets, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, you know, we just play a little bit right there and save, uh, you know, so spend a little, everybody waste a little bit of money. I mean, Lord, hell, even a Coca-Cola costs about $2 and something now. That's wasteful. You know the difference in buying a, a Coca-Cola? or even an unhealthy meal at McDonald's. That'd be pretty wasteful, wouldn't it? You know what, though? But at least in that, you're getting something in return. You're not getting much if you buy a Big Mac. I'm pretty certain it's not real beef. I don't know. It may be Beyond Burger or something. I don't know. But, you know, at least you're getting something. There's a difference. Christians don't play the lottery. 
And anytime someone has to justify another person, they'll say things like, well, you know, everybody sins. Now, I may play the lottery, but everybody sins. I want to tell you, unless sometimes they'll use excuses like that. But the truth of the matter is this. If you have to use another sin to prop up your sin, then whatever it is you're doing is not right. Amen? Uh, listen, just, listen, everybody sins. I understand that. But gambling is a sin tonight. Uh, and we ought to understand that. And then another good question is, should I stand against lo- the lottery and sin? I say absolutely without apology, amen? The lottery does nothing to further education. Is that right tonight? It creates a false hope for society and a craving for greed and riches in society. They take money that ought to be used to feed mouths and pay power bills and water bills and rent and money that ought to be used for ties and missions and money that can be used to put clothes on children. You know what they do? They use that money to fatten their own pocketbooks, amen? They use that money, businessmen use that money. It's not for the good of education. You look at every state that's ever brought the lottery in. Education has not went up. It's always went down. Amen. And you know why it's always went down? Because when you bring sin in, lottery tickets and gambling and drinking all goes together. When dad gets his paycheck, guess what he's going to do? He's going to spend it on that mess. And the education level's going to drop. It's not going to go up. Now listen, you can say amen or owe me tonight. I'm just telling you it's still wrong. It still ought to be preached on. It's still in the Bible, amen. Here's the real question. It demoralizes society. It deprives, divides, and destroys marriages, the homes, and even other relationships. It creates an attitude of dependence and entitlement on those who play at the devil's table. I think the big question tonight that would be asked would be this, preacher, I really thought long and hard about this question. Would you take the tithe or special offering gift of someone who won the lottery? I not only only thought about it, looked at it, but I prayed about it. And my answer would be this tonight, absolutely, I would take it. I would take the tithe, but I would not take the bribe. You know why? Because the Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. You say, but they want it at the devil's table, but it's still his. But I would take the tithe only under this condition. They would, if they was a member of this church, and if anybody, and I know nobody at Bible Baptist Church would ever buy a lottery ticket. Amen. (laughs) If somebody in this church won the lottery, and your face was plastered all over the local news. Amen. And we came back to church on Wednesday night. Would we take the tithe? Well, preacher, I, I know it's not right, but I'm going to tithe. And, and you know, that Powerball was 80 million, and I'm going to take that tithe. Oh, we'll take your tithe, but let us tell you what you're going to have to do. Number one, you're going to have to repent because it's wrong. Can I get a witness right there? Number two, you need to come before the church and make acknowledgement because it was a public sin. So it requires a public confession because we want to salvage what's left of your testimony. Can I get an amen right there? And we want to teach our young people that this is wrong, that it's not swept under the rug. After you've come and made it right with God, and we want you to, after you've stood before the church and you've made it right with the church, then we want you to write that big old tithe and check out, but we don't want you to just give the tithe. 
Amen. For after all, it is the devil's money. Can I get a witness right there? And if you really mean business, uh, then we want you to give every dime of it to the Lord's work. Can I get a witness on that right there? You say, but preacher, why would you say put that down as a requirement? I'll tell you why. Because we're not Catholics tonight. Amen. You can't run out and sin. Uh, and after you sin, come back and make a little confession. Amen. Uh, and then live in luxury the rest of your life uh, off the sin that you've done. Uh, no, I tell you, if you're really right with God, uh, you'll just say, you know, that was wrong. Uh, and I need to forsake that sin. Uh, I'm going to forsake that lottery ticket. And I'm going to forsake everything that goes with it. Amen. Uh, and I'm just going to give it all. Uh, I'll tell you, I'd take it under that condition, wouldn't you? Uh, and I'd use it for the glory and the honor of God. The devil's had it too long. Uh, I believe God would be pleased with a person that did that. I believe God would be pleased with a church that used it for the honor and glory of God. Now for the few that are still listening. What if somebody that didn't go here wanted to write a check, a special gift? I would say the same thing. You don't go to this church, you're not required of anything, but you would have to know that in no way would we ever approve in any way would we ever, ever condone that we stand 100% against the lottery, that it is the devil's table. It's his dice. Somebody say amen right there. And that it's not right and that we'll condemn it, but you can send the check and we'll spend it. I highly doubt either one of those people is going to write us a check, but you never know, do you? But that is the answer. When we come to this text tonight, I want you to notice three things in this verse about gambling. Number one, I want you to see the boldness of their gambling. We have to remember that they're soldiers and that they're sinners. And I'm not critical of these soldiers because they're sinners, and sinners do what sinners do. For them, this was just every other day. They're at the foot of the cross. This wasn't the first time they had gambled. It wasn't the first time that they had rolled the cast the lots. And I would say tonight that as we think about them, I'm not hard on them because their biggest problem is that they need Jesus, amen? But what amazes me is that they're under the drippings of Calvary. They're in the shadow of the cross. They're at the feet of our dying Savior. And they have no shame. They have no morals at all. Do you realize that's what gambling will do? It'll strip you of all your morality. You'll wind up doing things that you never thought you would do. You see, gambling is just a doorway. It's just an avenue that leads down to other things. There's a lot of people that started out gambling that never drank a drop. And gambling led them to the casinos and led them to the, the table. And they began, to, they began to gamble. And then with that gambling, they began to drink. Uh, some people had never seen pornography. They'd never seen perversion, but they went online and started gambling online. And through that gambling process, uh, it led to, uh, listen, women uh, that were half naked on there, and that led to another sin. Uh, do you understand that one sin always leads to another sin and that you cannot control sin tonight? Uh, I want to tell you, gambling is the high, has the highest addiction rate of any sin in our society. Do you realize that one out of every five people that gamble commit suicide. That's unbelievable when you stop and think about that one out of every five people that have a gambling addiction I'm talking about. Uh, listen, they commit suicide. It's my friend a, a heinous sin that ought to be preached against tonight. You know why their boldness was here? Was because there was a lack of trust. They could not wait until they left the cross, uh, but they had to gamble at the very foot of the cross. 
even if they didn't realize who Jesus was, you would have think they would have had some decency for moral life to have not gambled while a man was dying. You say, why did they gamble so quickly? A lack of trust. They had to do it, strike while the iron was hot. A sense of addiction and urgency that they could not wait. They had to get their fix. They had to satisfy this desire. You see, the path of sin, the banks are often covered with flowers in the beginning. By the time you get to the end, friend, it's nothing more than a wasted, vile pit. That's where gambling leads you to. I see the boldness of their gambling. Then don't you see the blindness of their gambling? You know what the tragedy of verse 35 is? Is that these men that gambled at the cross, they were gambling for this robe, this vesture. They could not see that just right above them was the greatest treasure that the world had ever known. All that they would ever need, all the satisfaction, all the peace, all that life could ever offer them was not there on earth beneath them, but it was right above their heads as they were gambling around the cross. If they would have just stopped and looked up and and saw Jesus, why did they not do that? Because they were blind in their sin. I don't look at a gambler tonight and think that I'm any better than what he is or she is. I feel sorry for those that are hooked at the card table. They're hooked, my friend, on online gambling and cannot quit. They're losing everything they got. If they're blind. They cannot see. If only they could look beyond the cards, beyond the dice, beyond the slot machines. If only they could look beyond online and they could see the Savior. They could see that all that they would ever need, the greatest treasure they could ever know, they wouldn't have to gamble. You don't got to roll dice to be saved. You don't got to have a full house to be saved. I'm telling you tonight, you don't got to pull the lever and everything line up to be saved. I tell you, all you got to do is come by way of the cross and the shed blood of Calvary, uh, blind as you may be, if you can open your eyes uh, and see that the real winner is those that put their faith uh, and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it won't cost you nothing to be saved. Uh, salvation is a free gift. Uh, he, this soldier walked away. Uh, he had a robe uh, in his hand, uh, but he didn't have, uh, listen, the Redeemer in his heart. Uh, he walked away and he lost. Uh, even though he thought he won, uh, he lost everything when he walked away from the cross. You think about that old thief hanging there. Stole all of his life. Died. And in his final moments, in his final breaths, he looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And that thief won in the end. The blindness of their gambling. You know what gambling will do? It'll cause you to become blind to the greatest treasures God has given you. Your family. Your friends. Your freedom your faith. You know, tonight, if you could win the lottery, if you could win the Powerball, if you could win tonight millions, you could not take those millions of dollars and replace your family. You couldn't replace those friends that are sitting around you tonight in church. You couldn't replace your freedom You say, well, preacher, I I live in America and I understand, but I'm not talking about that freedom tonight. I'm talking about if you had a million dollars that you could win at the devil's table. Do you realize it's not a prize, it's a price. It comes with a price. The devil's never gonna give you nothing for free. The devil is never gonna let you walk away from his table a winner. You're gonna be the loser. 
I'm preaching tonight on Lucifer, losers, and the lottery. Because in this text, if anybody went to the cross that day, the devil showed up. And in this text, the real losers are these soldiers that are at the cross because they walk away thinking they have something when in reality they have nothing because the only thing they have is something that's temporal and they walked away from what was eternal. I'm telling you tonight, uh, I wouldn't gamble with my soul sinner. If you're lost tonight, God gave you the most greatest treasure you could ever possess uh, and it is your soul, amen? And the Bible teaches us that the soul of man never dies uh, and your body's going to the ground and it's going to the grave one of these days but somewheres in eternity a hundred years from now your soul is going to be as much alive then as what it is right now I'm going to tell you the devil more than he wants your body more than he wants your belongings he wants your soul tonight if he can drag your soul to hell or drag your soul down a life of destruction and death he would surely do that tonight oh hear me backslider you may be saved tonight but you hear me and hear me well if you're backslid in your heart of hearts. You need to hear the man of God tonight. You need to get right with God. I'm telling you the devil, he may not be able to damn your soul, but he can destroy your life. He can wreck and ruin your life. Hear me tonight, amen. I feel a burden in my heart. If you're sitting in this church and you're thinking about getting out of church and backsliding, I'm gonna tell you how that goes. You start hunting excuses. And I'm gonna tell you who your excuses are. It's either the pastor his wife, or the church. I hadn't heard anything, but I sure feel a nudge to say it. I've watched it down through the years when people start thinking, they start looking for a way out. Maybe they're not going to get completely out in their mind, but they're gonna go somewhere else where it just ain't quite so tight. So 